This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. This evening, uh, we want to talk about uh, some things that hopefully will help us in our daily life and some practical application for our daily life. I'd like to start out by reading an old poem. And this poem you may have heard a long, long time ago. I don't know. But I want you to uh, think about the words of this poem, and uh, especially for the young parents that are out there and uh, the uh, older grandparents where you've got little eyes watching you too. But it says, there are little eyes upon you, and they're watching night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do anything you do. And a little boy or girl who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. You're the little fellow's idol. You're the wisest of the wise. In his little mind about you, no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devoutly, holds all you say and do. He will say and do in your way what he's grown up just like you. There's a wide-eyed little fellow who believes you're always right. And his eyes are always open and he watches day and night. You're setting an example every day in all you do. For the little boy who's waiting to grow up to be just like you. Whoever wrote that understood something that uh, we all need to understand about the little eyes. And the little minds that they are watching us. And what I have found out to be so is that it's not always just little eyes that are watching you. But there are grown-up eyes watching you. There are young adult eyes watching you. People are always watching you. People desire today more than ever to live in anonymity, and it's absolutely impossible to do so. You cannot live to yourself, and you're not going to die to yourself. We are all connected and interconnected with each other in so many different ways. And what happens to me a thousand miles from here in Tennessee, in some respects, affects you here a thousand miles west. And what happens to us in our daily affairs will affect other people in some respect, in some way. I learned this lesson and I'm hesitant to tell this story because it took me a long time to, to get where I could tell it because uh, uh, like I talked to the other night about guilt and shame, this has been one of the shameful moments in my life. Very shameful. And I still carry the scars of that in my mind of what happened when I was 18 years old. At uh, 12 years old, I started trying to do and teach, and just like my grandsons, trying to lead songs or trying to pray, and in and, and doing all of those things that I needed to do, and, and I studied the Bible with my dad. My dad was the type of person that uh, when we went to work in the field, he would uh, take his Bible with him, and we would take a break, and we would go, and we would sit under the shade tree. 
when it was break time and we'd talk about the Bible. And I learned how to read, shake notes in the field. I learned how to make a stab at learning how to sing bass in the field, working with my dad. And so I grew up in that type of home. And I looked at my dad and I held him up as highly as a, man, as a boy could hold his dad up. And I was that little eye. And I want to tell you some of the things that was instilled in me when I was a child, I still have today. And I wonder sometimes if my dad were still alive, what would he think of me? But I went to high school and I graduated high school. And, and when you graduate high school, at least I'm going to speak for myself, I certainly hope it's not the case with everybody. And maybe you didn't experience this. But when I graduated high school, I suddenly became very smart extremely smart and then I went off to school and at 18 years old I was uh, took a job and I took a job with a group of other young men and in a profession that I thought I wanted to be in and the first day that I was up there we were all sitting in a room together, all of the employees, and we were visiting with each other, all of us about the same age. The Bible came up in discussion. <laughs> Spiritual things came up, and I had some Bible knowledge, and I started sharing with them from the Bible and some of the things that I had learned from my dad from my mother and we sat there and we talked on spiritual matters for a long time time went on and I'm working with these fellas and one guy told me one day he said you know Mark he said when you first came up here I'd moved out of state and he said you know when you first came up here and he said you remember that discussion we had and I said yeah he said I thought you're really going to help us. But you're just like us. You're no different than we are. I'd become just like them. And I carry that shame. And that, that, there's nothing that the Lord could have given me to recalibrate me any better than a rebuke from a man or a boy who was not a Christian. And I quit that job. And I went home. And that had a, played a big part in it because, you know, deep down I felt like I have, been, I have disappointed myself. I've disappointed God. I've come up here and I have conformed to what these other guys are doing and talking, not necessarily doing, but I certainly sounded like them. So I went home and I vowed that that would never happen to me again. And I failed in many, many other ways, but I've never had that said to me since. Now, the point of me telling you this story that is shameful for me and difficult is to let you know that there's somebody that's always watching you. They're always listening to you. 
even when you get old, even when you're young, there's somebody always watching you. And the scripture makes it plain in Romans 2.24 when the apostle Paul talks about this very thing when he says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. He's talking to the Jews who knew better, who should be living a better life, but were not. And we're living this facade of religious piety. And he says the name of God is blasphemed through you. Now, that's a horrible thing. Someone walks up to you and they say, you're a hypocrite. You're not living it. And the name of God is blasphemed through you. Someone is watching you in your speech and listening to what you're saying and they're watching the way you live. And the question is, is the name of God being blasphemed through us by our actions and by our speech? Colossians 4 and 5, and this is the text that we want to land upon this evening and to gather our thoughts about in our study. The scripture there says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Now, I asked this question to some folks today because I, I wanted to see the reaction. Who are those that are without? <laughs> and that doesn't mean outside the building. It doesn't mean those outside the parking lot. It can mean that, but it doesn't mean that in this. Who he's talking about are those that are without that are not in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. In other words, the people of the world. And he says to walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let's analyze this verse a little bit and talk about it and think about our actions this evening and our life toward other people, not necessarily those that are in this room, but for those who are out in the world that you come into contact every day. I heard it said once that uh, the Bible says go and preach the gospel and use words if you have to. I don't subscribe to that. Because in, the, in that action, it's saying a lot of times that you don't have to talk to people. You do have to talk to people. God has ordained preaching and teaching to the world. And our actions in our life are not all that we're to do. But there is a particle of truth in that too, in that, in that saying, is that we are preaching with our life and we're preaching with our words and our daily relationships. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. He says for us to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. What does it mean to walk circumspectly? It means careful to consider all the surroundings. If I'm walking circumspectly, I'm walking being aware of what's around me. If you were out in the wilderness or in bear country, you're going to walk circumspectly. 
I watch these shows that I get tickled at them sometime. The old boys will get out there in the woods and they're in bear country and they'll walk around saying, hey bear, hey bear, hey bear, hey bear. And they don't know if the bear is there or not, but they know that it's possible that he's there. <laughs> and they're walking circumspectly because they want to make sure that bear knows he's there. And so you've got two surroundings there that, are, that we walk circumspectly. Now, when we walk circumspectly, we're walking and living our life being aware of our surroundings. One thing you can be assured of, there are people watching you. Your children, your grandchildren, your neighbor, the people you work with, the person that you're checking out at the Walmart cash register. They're all watching and they're all listening to you. So we be aware of that and walk circumspectly. Redeeming the time. With wisdom, considering the circumstances is to walk circumspectly. I'll tell you one of the, uh, a good testimony, unlike the uh, shameful testimony that I gave you is when Ram moved to our part of the country, Ram Rodriguez, a few years ago, and he was beginning to work there at home. He, uh, one of the first things you do, you know, when you move, you know what that is, you go to Walmart. You have to. <laughs> There's no choice in it. You've got to go get supplies. So Ram went to Walmart. Now, the reason I know this, you'll know why I know this in a minute, but Ram went to Walmart and Ram was buying some stuff, and he was checking out, and there was this little girl at the cash register. And he said, hey, my name is Ram Rodriguez. I've just moved to Warren County here, and I'm working with North Warren Church of Christ. And he said, we'd like for you to come and visit us. Just a random stranger, random, Ram did that. You know, that little girl went to North Warren Church of Christ. That's where she went to church at. He didn't know that. He didn't know her. He had no idea. I see a, an action like that as an action that says I'm going to walk being aware of my circumstances. How often are you out and you think people are watching me and being careful to see my conduct and I'm representing something far greater than me? I'm representing the Lord and I'm representing the church. So let me tell you, an unfiltered speech is unwise. I've seen people with unfiltered speech. And sometimes it seems like the older you get, the filter becomes poorer and poorer. Sometimes it seems like the younger people can filter their speech better than the old people. But we have to be careful with our speech and we have to have a filter. Proverbs 13.3 says, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. I want to tell you, there's a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. Sometimes the best thing you can do is filter your speech. I know your opinion is important. So is mine. <laughs> if, if, I, if it were not important, I wouldn't have that opinion. And the same is true with you. But what is not important? It's for you always to feel like you've got to share that opinion. Sometimes we need a filtered speech. If I'm going to walk circumspectly, being aware of my surroundings, 
being cognizant that there are people watching me and that I am living a life of evangelism even when I'm not in the church, I will be careful to filter my speech and to learn to keep my mouth closed. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Uh, every young person, every old person needs to memorize that passage. We all need to memorize that passage. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. That door of your lips is learning to keep your mouth closed. Sometimes the best evangelistic tool that you can use with those that are without, those in the world, is not to say anything. To learn to be quiet. Not to have to share your opinion. I'm a very opinionated person. I recognize that. And often that's been one of the largest battles that I've had to face in my life is to understand that not everyone values my opinion <laughs> like I value it. Let's pray. Set a watch, O Lord, over before my mouth and keep the door of my lip. We need to uh, consider some things about this door of our lips. Consider some things about your language. You know the Bible says a whole lot about your speech. And if we're going to walk wisely toward those that are without and walk circumspectly, we need to consider first, I believe, our words and our lips. Do we speak without thinking about what we're going to say? Some people do. We all do probably in some respects. Sometimes it comes out and you say, why did I say that? Because I'll tell you why you didn't say it. Because you didn't consider it before you said it. And you didn't consider the consequences. Have we thought about what I'm about to say? If you're going to meet somebody for the first time, are you going to take the approach that first of all, I'm going to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ? If I take that approach that I'm going to walk circumspectly being aware of my surroundings that I'm going to have to assume automatically this first impression that people are going to have is the only impression that I may get to have with them. And I need to be aware of what I'm going to say and how I present myself. Every young person learn that lesson. When the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, let no man despise thee because of thy youth, I don't believe that he's talking about you're young and you have a liberty. So don't let anybody think about you. I believe he's telling us, quite frankly, is because you're young, don't let them despise you by the cause of the things you say and the things you do. Even though we may be lack maturity, don't do something that's going to cause a problem later on and say something that people will judge the church harshly over or Christ himself. Let's not let the name of God be blasphemed because of us. James 1 and 19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's another verse we all need to understand. Swift to hear. 
slow to speak, swift, swift to hear, slow to speak. Some of the wisest people in the world are those who can contain their mouth and can be swift to hear, slow to speak, and don't get mad quickly. Hold your temper. Learn to suffer the wrong. Be swift to hear. Don't open your mouth so quickly. And for crying out loud, you're just not that important to get so angry. (laughs) It's just not worth it. You do not want the name of God to be blasphemed Because of you. The scripture tells us that we need to walk with wisdom. You know what wisdom is? There's many definitions, but I've concluded that it's the ability to make good decisions. There could be a lot of smart people, very intelligent people that cannot make good decisions. They make very poor decisions. And God wants you to make good decisions. Therefore, he tells us that uh, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He says any man. God wants every person to make good decisions. So he tells us when we're walking with wisdom, then we're making a good decision. And Proverbs 10, 19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. My shameful moment as a young man was when I was not able to refrain my lips. And I was not able to speak those words that would uplift and edify. But I would fall into the trap of conforming to other people. Refrain our lips is wise. Before we speak, we need to ask ourselves this question. What's motivating me? What's motivating me to say these things? Now, you know uh, and realize that we talked a little bit last night, but we can make this application to social media (laughs) very easily. As a matter of fact, you have more time on social media to not react. How many times have you ever written something and say, "Ah, delete that? I'm not going to post that. That's wise. If you have a doubt about it, it's wise. Be slow to speak. What's motivating you? I believe that most of the time when we speak hastily, the motivation is pride. We want to defend ourselves. We want to uphold ourselves. And to make ourselves something that we're not. Luke 6, 45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Many of us may have a heart problem. And the heart problem may be one that is steeped in pride. We have put ourselves on high center and we carry and sit upon the throne. Our opinions, 
Our feelings become most important. And I want to tell you, as long as you're living that way and as long as you have God off of his throne, you will bring reproach upon the name of God because I've never yet met a person who could assume that throne and uphold it. We will all fail and fail miserably. God alone deserves to sit on the throne and not us. Before we speak, we need to consider what I'm saying. Is it true? Have you ever noticed that all of us, maybe, I'm assuming that it's uh, universal to mankind, but we remember things perhaps differently than they actually happen sometimes? Does that ever happen to you? It does me. And the conversation that I have with someone, maybe what it's repeated, it may not be exactly accurate. So sometimes it may be better that that conversation that you've had with someone not be repeated at all. Controlling this fire, ask is there truth to what I'm about to say? I know all of us feel like that we we want we are honest. And I believe as a, a general rule, we want to be honest and truly honest. But if we're really honest, we're going to make the confession that sometimes I remember things differently than they actually occurred. I think we're all guilty of that. I'll be the first to tell you that I am. So therefore, let's put a lock upon our lips. It will gender strife, it will cause problems, and it will bring reproach upon the name of God, and the name of God can be blasphemed through our lips. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. What truth is he talking about there? He's talking about the truth of God. God's word. In our mind and our motivation should be one to convey the truth. If I'm going to convey the truth, then I'm going to guard my lips of my opinions because I may not be speaking truth. No wonder Jesus said, let your conversation be yea, yea, and nay, nay. No wonder. And he said, whatever comes more of this can come of evil. The simple fact is, is the truth lies in God's word and we have a way of not speaking the truth in love. And it doesn't mean whatever you say, love when you say it. (laughs) We try to justify our statements oftentimes. Well, I love them, so I've got to tell them this. No, you don't. We speak the truth in love. We're speaking the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ in love. That's the truth. Let your conversation be yea, yea, and nay, nay. Scripture says that we are to speak with wisdom, always with grace. Uh, This term, grace, in this passage, if you look at the word that is being used there, charis, 
It means graciousness. Now, what does graciousness mean? I love the idea of a gracious hostess. And I'm going to say hostess because most men are not so gracious. <laughs> but women have a uh, natural propensity to graciousness. It's a matter of divine influence upon the heart. It's a reflection of life, including, and I want you to get this, gratitude. That's graciousness. Do you know what a gracious hostess does? She is so grateful that you are there. <laughs> She's thankful that you're there. And that's graciousness. And you know, when you go to someone's house and you're treated with graciousness and you say, oh, you're such a gracious host. Now, they may serve you on fine china. They may have the best tablecloth. They may, they may have the best food. But if it's not served with graciousness, you're not going to enjoy it. What you really want and what I really want is you want to be around people who are thankful. And that becomes gracious. So our words, seasoned with grace, you're not going to win souls by being a complainer. You're just not. You're not going to win souls by being this person that's always finding something wrong. I know there's a lot of things wrong. We deal with wrong things every day in this life. There's no doubt about that. But the world is beat up enough with these wrong things without Christian people exercising more affliction. When you start agreeing with this, rather than being thankful for what the Lord has given you and for how he has so blessed you, do you really think that's a message that's going to resonate with those who are out in the world and who are lost, those that are without? Well, old Mark over there, he goes to church, but man, he's a bigger complainer than I am. He finds more things wrong with this country than me. He's no better off than I am. That message will not resonate with people. No wonder that the scripture teaches us that let our speech be seasoned with graciousness, seasoned with salt. Now, the salt, uh, sweetness is always seasoned with salt. Graciousness is the sweetness of the conversation, I believe. But... Also, if someone is not real and they live a fake life, that comes across too. Have you ever met somebody that was so sweet that uh, it was almost nauseating? <laughs> because you know why it's nauseating? Because you know deep down they're not really that way. So our salt then becomes this flavor that will flavor our sweetness to make it palatable and our life and our speech then becomes one of truth because we're speaking the truth in love, but we're also real.
And it's a language that will preserve. Nothing can expose us as much as our talk. We talk about the things that we love. Have you ever seen the sign on the car, let me tell you about my grandchildren? I thought about getting one. <laughs> I haven't got one, but am I? We talk about the things that we love. And your talk will expose what you love and what's on your mind. Our goal then is to build up and not to tear down. As we walk in wisdom toward those that are without, we have to let our conversation be with grace, seasoned with salt, a reality. We're not fake. We're not phony. We understand problems. But you know, you can understand problems and you can understand difficulties in this life and still be thankful to God and convey that thankfulness. Also, the world looks at not only the way we talk, but the way we live. Uh, the scripture here says in 1 Peter 3 and 1, Likewise, you wise be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, that they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Here he gives an illustration of a husband and wife. One's a Christian, one's not. And the mate can be one. Clearly can be one simply through a chaste conversation. Verse 2 says, while they behold your chaste conversation, they're looking. Little eyes are watching you. John 13, 35 says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. That's not necessarily talking about how much you love your brethren, but it's showing it and, and living it. My dear old mother used to say, you don't have to tell me you love me. Just show me you love me. Show me the way you live. Chaste conversation means that we live properly, that we live cleanly, that we become innocent in our lives, modest, perfect, or complete. Chaste, clean, pure. A chaste conversation then means that I keep my life as cleanly as I possibly can. The world sees this cleanliness. Those that are without sees this cleanliness and it stands out so vividly to them. And we can win people through a chaste conversation. We need to be clean by being truthful. Let us walk honestly, Paul says in Romans 13, 13, as in the day. In your dealings with people, we need to be honest in our dealings. And Ephesians 4 and 5, we need to constantly be speaking the truth in love and showing the word of God, not only in our speech, but in the way that we live. I'm going to tell you now more than ever in this world, we need clean, moral Christians. You need to understand that morality is demanded today and ask of you more than ever. Romans 13, 13 says, Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust of the flesh. He tells us to walk honestly. Deal honestly. Deal in honest dealings. I'll tell you, it's a shame when you see church people in their business 
operate just like the person who's not a Christian. We need to deal honestly and even to the point of suffering loss if necessary. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. I want you to look at that word chambering for just a moment. This is a word that a lot of young people don't see. They don't understand. I want you to know it. Maybe some of the older people don't know it. What it means, chambering, simply means cohabitation. If you decide to live with a person outside of marriage, little eyes are watching you, many eyes are watching you, and you're speaking a language that is not of Christ. The world does that. Christians don't. Wantonness means licentiousness, sometimes including filthy, a filthy lifestyle. And he says for us not to walk that way. We can't live that way. We're Christians. And if we are living that way, we will bring reproach upon the name of God. And the name of God will be blasphemed. Licentious means promiscuous and unprincipled in sexual matters. One of the conversations that I used to have with my dad under the shade tree and working in the field is, and I could, I've heard him say it I don't know how many times, and he could only imagine what it would be like today. But he used to say people can't get filthy enough. That old pig that wallows in the mire, they, you know why they wallow in the mire? And they get in the mud hole and they get dirty. You know why? You say, because they're a pig, yeah. You know why? But they like it. <laughs> they can't get dirty enough. They desire it. We have to change our desires. We're not pigs. God didn't make us that way. He made us. That we can glorify him and magnify him in our life. And we cannot do that with this promiscuous, unprincipled lifestyle in our sexual matters. That's why God gave us a husband and a wife. And one husband, one wife for each other. Anything beyond that is licentious. 1 Peter 2 and 12 says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they may speak of you as evildoers, they may behold your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. God, uh, good works always glorify God. Good works are to glorify God. Remember, it's all about him. It's not about us. And good works, and we desire to have good works and clean moral lifestyle because it's all about him and it's not about us. I'll never own a painting with that signature. That's magnified at the bottom of a famous painting. It says Rembrandt. He was a famous artist. You know, there's no telling what that painting would cost just to have that signature. Now, you take the signature off of it, the, the painting dramatically decreases in value. Uh, an artist, when he paints a, por a picture of some kind, uh, if he approves of it, he'll put his name on it. And that name 
says, I am the owner of this painting. I created it. This came from my mind and came through my hand. And the famous painters then, they paint these portraits that you and I can't comprehend. At least I'll say I can't. You take me and put me in a museum and I don't know one from the other because I've never developed an eye for art. But the famous artists, they are well known and they have claimed these paintings. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You're God's masterpiece. He's willing to put his name on you. And claim you as his own. That painting that uh, I've just shown you of Rembrandt, whatever it is, the whole picture, it's not soiled. If it were soiled, it would be of less value. It's not dirty. It's not been handled with filthy hands and treated in a filthy manner. And the value of that painting just is skyrockets. We are God's workmanship, created unto what? Unto good works. Somebody says, this, is a, this sure sounds like a legalist sermon to me. Let me tell you the difference between legalism and obedience. I think you need to know this. Legalism magnifies the man. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Obedience magnifies God. He is the maker. God calls us to good works. Why? Well, you may be, as the song says, the world's Bible. <laughs> you may be the only Bible that some people ever read. Let it not be soiled. Let it not be filthy. Let it be that masterpiece that God has created under good works. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.